0: Two sessions ago, we did a lesson that posted today on my website called I Believe In. If you haven't watched it, do so just because, well, for two reasons. One, watch it because if you want to know what I believe in, that's the message that will tell you what I believe in. Um, what Here's the five-minute Cliff Notes version. It's not much about what what I believe in, but who I believe in. And One of the things I wanted to lay as a real root system in what we're doing is not 15 things we believe in, but the one in whom we believe, who manifests as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Um, A couple of weeks ago we were with you and, and did a message that hasn't aired yet, if you missed our session a couple of weeks ago, and we talked about God the Father Almighty. We presented God as a Father, as our Father as the omnipotent, all-powerful, all-knowing God, those go down smooth for for believers in in, Christ, in in God the Father. I mean, you that's there's nothing controversial about it. What you might not have known was that we were preaching the first two lines, or essentially, of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, and the reason that I'm doing that is because over the next several weeks, that's what I want to lay out. What does that creed say about the theology of what it means to be a Christian? Because essentially that's what that creed is, the theology of what it means to be a Christian. We can get into 15 ancillary arguments about Christianity and we'll end up with denominational thinking or we'll end up with segmented thinking. We feel this way versus the way they feel. We interpret this verse differently than this group interprets that verse. And before long your head explodes because you don't don't know how you're supposed to do this or how you're supposed to do that, and then we just get in fights, and then you just only read the Bible to defend your position. It's exhausting. And I've been through enough of that that I don't ever want to do that again as long as I live. Um, But I am passionate about who I believe in. I'm passionate about God the Father Almighty, and that leads me to this lesson tonight, which is creator of heaven and earth. Because when we talk about believing in God the Father Almighty, we then tell what the Father does. Part of our credo confession is that we tell what it is about that Father that makes Him special. He is the Creator of all things, heaven and earth. And I know that there's literalism attached to that in that He literally created everything. I believe that He's the literal Creator. I believe that when I say, When we say God is the creator, I mean God is in the creating business. Um, He fashioned man out of dust and breathed into his nostrils and made him a life-giving spirit. Um, But I also believe that it's way deeper. You'll find, you've you've probably already learned this about me. I'll tell you what I think primarily, but then I'll tell you it's way deeper than that. I do that on a lot of things because I believe that. God's a creator, but it's way deeper than God hung moon and stars. It's so deep that God created, and I... If I didn't believe this, then to me, there wouldn't be much good in sharing the gospel. I believe He individually created you. Now, I know that you're a product of your mom and your dad. I understand biology. But I believe that the Spirit of God is alive and well in in humanity. That there are no such thing as people behind God's back. That there are no such thing of people who, well, God didn't create them in as high of a form. Or God doesn't care for them as much. He can't be God, the father almighty and be less than when it comes to being a creator. So if it's breathing and if it's moving, give God the glory for it. And so he's not just the creator of the universe, but the creator of your individual uniqueness. Okay. And I think individually you are unique and, and I, I don't want to sound corny, but or cheesy, but there's no other way to say it really. You are uniquely beautifully created in the eyes of God. You might not be uniquely beautiful in the eyes of your neighbor. You might be a unique problem to your... You understand what I mean? Like your neighbor, and I do... I don't just mean the person sitting next to you, though not limited to that, uh, but rather the human family may not find each other uniquely beautiful, but I, I do believe that we're more than... we're more than that. Um, let me start. I, I will meet you in Isaiah 45. So if you grab a Bible, go with me. You, you know I love to read the Scriptures and I love to explore them. So if you have a hard copy, great. Take, a time, take your time and find Isaiah 45. If you don't and you have a digital copy, that's fine as well. If you have neither, that's okay. You can just listen. We'll read and try to read slowly. And I'll be there in just a second. I want to read for you a quote. I jotted this down this week. I just thought, in, in light of creation I'm thinking creation. Uh, I thought this is a good quote. George MacDonald, a Scottish theologian from the 19th century, one of the probably one of the most influential novelists in Christian history. Um, C.S. Lewis, J.R.R. Tolkien both consider him the real inspiration behind what caused them to write. He said this, I just thought this was beautiful. "I would rather be what God chose to make me." than the most glorious creature that I could think of. For to have been thought about, born in God's thought, and then made by God is the dearest, grandest, and most precious thing. And I agree. So I'd rather be what God made me than the most glorious creature that I could imagine God could make. Now, that sounds pretty, but it's not easy to amen it because we don't all believe in our own creation as well, or we don't think that we're worth it, or we don't think that we're valuable, or we don't think that we're beautiful, and therefore we go, well, if I had to choose, I'd be somebody else. I'd look some other way. I'd act some other way. I'd talk some other way. I'd think so. Has it ever crossed your mind? You don't have to raise your hand and admit it, but I know it has crossed your mind at least once in your life as, I wish I was this. I wish I was that. Boy, if I lived in a perfect world, I, if I could remake myself. We've all done it and in a way, I get it. I'm not, I'm not saying this to be condemning. I'm the biggest duck in the puddle on this. I I think all the time, boy, I wish I could do that. I wish I was doing that. I wish I could remake myself this way. But in, in truth is if I believe God is creator and I'm made in the likeness of the image of God, who am I to tell God? Boy, I wish I was this instead of this. And if I can really let that soak into me, then everyone that walks through our doors or crosses the path of our lives will have equal value because they will be created in the likeness and image of God, even if it's not the image I would have made them into. Because quite frankly, I haven't met very many people who I would approve of the image that they're made into any more than myself. But understanding that He's not just a Father, He's Creator. And Creator of all things in heaven and in earth means that He's not just the Creator of matter or of spiritual, but of all. Um, when we say Creator of heaven and earth, the Nicene Creed says He's the Creator of all that is seen and unseen. Kind of adds a line in the Nicene Creed, which basically is, in some ways, is saying God creates what is tangible and also what is invisible. And none of us would argue with that. That both that which is re- that which is in the real in our world versus that which we don't see in the unseen world, is created by God. What happens there, though, is that we have entered into a little form of Gnosticism, in a way. Um, Kind of an old, ancient, early thought process from the first, second century called Gnosticism that is alive and well today, we just don't call it Gnosticism. Because what Gnosticism is, is that there's... The spiritual world is way above the physical world, way better than the physical world, and there are certain keys to unlocking the spiritual world through this inferior world. And um, I think it's a dangerous road to go down where you start to think that the spirit realm is infinitely greater than the natural realm because if it is, then God made one thing that was great and one thing that wasn't worth much. And all he's really doing is putting you through this little sort of maze, little rat maze with a piece of cheese at the end of it going, boy, let's hope they get there because it's a really good life on the other side of the cheese if you can make it. And so this is just sort of your life that you're living, making your left turns and your right turns. It's not the best life, but, you know, it's all you got. And then someday you get to die and go be with Jesus where the real life starts. Jesus said, I have come that you might have life. And that you might have it more abundant. And he didn't say, I have come that you might have life and that it gets started when you die. Okay, so I'm a believer in the life of God as a present reality in the life of this world. Which means his life infiltrates our life. And so the material world is not some dogged, horrible space. And the spiritual world is this elevated space. No. God is creator of heaven and earth means God created what you don't see, the realm of the spirit. And God created what you do see, the realm of the natural. And God said it was good, which means that God, creator of heaven and earth, didn't make a bad place and a good place, and you will get out of the bad place and get to go to the good place, but He's integrated heaven and earth through Christ and allows you to partake in the heavenly nature of god in jesus guys that's the gospel this is what we're trying to present to people the opportunity to meet god while you're here while you're alive to step into the death of christ and receive the life of god and and that isn't requiring your natural death to step into the death of christ but your faith in the one who died for you and who raises from the dead and the hope that that resurrection is my resurrection also We get all of that out of Creator God? Yeah, we do if we pay attention. Because if He's the Creator of heaven and earth, heaven and earth matter. If heaven is so much greater and the realm of the Spirit is so much greater, then I can see why there are people that say, forget this earth, who cares? I'm going to a better place. But the reality is is that Jesus left us to be stewards and God left us to be stewards of this place because His precious creation live here. His precious creation abide here. If I were to leave you the keys to my house and car for a month and said, I'm gonna be gone, take care of it. I would hope you didn't burn it to the ground before I got home. And that when I got there, it at least looked like you cared, you know. Didn't make it your personal trash pile. Uh, Didn't leave me with a disaster but cared about it. And if we do that, you would do that just out of respect. You would take care of it. Say, I'm going to try to keep this place halfway clean. I'm going to try to present it a little better than I left it. Why do you do that? It's not yours. Who cares? Nothing's going to change in your life. If you don't do that, I kind of look at that as God, the father creator of heaven and earth. And that he has put us here with this great opportunity. I'm I'm, I'm hesitant sometimes to say mission because people take mission to mean works you got a mission to do. Okay. Maybe mission scares you. So let's change the wording and call it opportunity. It's actually a mission. But we're going to call it an opportunity. (laughs) Because I do actually think we have a mission, which is to love our neighbor. A mission, which is to be agents of who he is on this earth. But if that's too harsh a word, you have an opportunity. You have an opportunity to show forth the image of the creator in every place that you go and everywhere that you go. So when we say creator of heaven and earth... I'm not talking about eons ago when he hung the moon and the stars. I'm not not talking about that. I'm just not only talking about that. I'm talking about he who has the creative power to transform your world. And if you really believe that, then we're going to walk towards that. And we're going to try to share that in a way that's transformative to someone else's world. At least that's what I believe. Us, Isaiah told you the 45th chapter. Let's go to the 45th chapter. I've got a thousand spots to pick from in the Bible when it comes to Creator. The Bible's full of calling God Creator. I had a bunch. But I wanted to land on this one. I think it'll become clear why in a moment. Isaiah 45, 18. For thus says the Lord, who created the heavens, who is God, who formed the earth and made it, who has established it, Who did not create it in vain, who formed it to be inhabited. That's a big creation verse. Like everything in that verse just drips with, boy, God went to great pains to make a space for me. Not just me, but the human family. I'm the Lord of God and there is no other. 19. I have not spoken in secret in a dark place of the earth. I didn't say to the seed of Jacob, seek me in vain. I, the Lord, speak righteousness. I declare things that are right. Assemble yourselves and come. Draw near together, you who have escaped from the nations. They have no knowledge, who carry the wood of their carved image and pray to a God that cannot save. This is talking about the idolatry of the nations around Israel. Tell and bring forth your case. Yes, let them take counsel together who has declared this from ancient time. Who has told it from the time? Have not I, the Lord? There's no other God besides me. I'm a just God and a Savior, and there is none besides me. Look to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, from God, and there is no other. Now watch verse 23. I have sworn by myself... The word has gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return, that to me every knee shall bow and every tongue shall take an oath. Does that verse sound a little bit familiar? should sound pretty familiar. Paul borrows this verse in the New Testament and says that it's written that every knee should bow, every tongue should confess. He uses the phrase confess. Where did Paul get that? That is not a new covenant Pauline revelation. In other words, Paul's not the first person who's ever thought of that. And under the influence of the Holy Spirit in the new covenant, he goes, you know, I believe there's a day every knee's going to bow every time he's going to confess that Jesus is Lord, or at least they should. I, I used that verse on someone the other day and they said, no, the Bible says they should bow and they should confess. And I thought, well, maybe if we went back to the source text that Paul was using, which was Isaiah 45, it wasn't Paul that said it. It was God. And what did God say? Hey, you can make all your little idols made out of wood. You can chase them? You can serve them? I'm not I'm not hiding anywhere, God says. I haven't done anything in secret. I'm open. I hung the moon, I hung the stars, I hung the planets. And I can promise you this, my word goes out and shall return. And it's not going to return void. If I say it, it's done. And he says, what am I saying? Every knee's going to bow and every tongue's going to make a promise. Every tongue's going to take an oath. So the Creator God created a space for us to live in, and at the end of it all, every knee bows and every tongue confesses. You want to know what, one of the, to me, one of the great hopes of Christianity is? That every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess. Now, you and I, I think we're on, in agreement on that. We may not be on agreement how we get there. Some people think that God's going to get every knee to bow because He's going to break their kneecaps. They got a God who eventually comes along, and if you say no, God just goes smack, and then they kind of fall over, and then they, they lay there in the courts of heaven and go, Yeah, he's a big God. I got to admit, no one's stronger than God. Um, and if that's the case, then you've got a God that maybe is vindictive and, and vengeful, and someday he's going to break some kneecaps and people are going to worship him. But I believe that God's expression, the Word that went forth, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, and the Word was with, made flesh, and we beheld him. Who is the Word? Jesus. I believe that when the word goes forth, it doesn't return void. And God sent his word out named Jesus so that every knee would bow and every tongue would take an oath. Because I believe that our destiny is to encounter Christ. And that Christ is the one who is working on the heart of man, each and every one of us, to bring us to the place that we bow our knee before God Almighty. Now, how did Jesus do it? Did Jesus go around smacking people in the kneecaps? Hey, you better worship my dad, and if you don't, I'll give every one of you leprosy. And we know Jesus has the power. Jesus even said, I come to make blind people see and sighted people blind. So he had the power to actually send blindness through the room. Just go, you know, every one of you are blind till you live for my father. And it seems like that would have been a faster way to do this, right? I mean, just like go out and whole scale plagues and get everybody to live for God. So you got to watch how Jesus did it. I hope i'm a broken record i go back every time we're together i go back to telling you to look to jesus guys it's not going to change look to jesus the author and finisher of your faith he's the source of your salvation he's the source of your peace he's the source of your hopes so we look to jesus Go. how did jesus do it and so how does jesus get people to bow the knee he loves them and he blesses the fire out of them remember when peter is on the boat fishing and they're not catching anything and jesus is on the boat with him and he goes cast your nets to the other side And Peter goes, we've been fishing all night. There's no fish out here. Casting my nest to the other side is a waste of time. My back's breaking. I'm ready to go home. Jesus goes, just, you know, okay, don't. I kind of think Jesus went, okay, don't. Because, I mean, (laughs) and so at that point, if I'm Peter, I go, oh, I probably ought to try this. You know, and so you cast to the other side. And the Bible says there was a net breaking load of fish. And Peter doesn't even help. (laughs) It's his boat. It's his net. He should help. He lets go of the net and falls on his face in front of Jesus. And says, forgive me. I'm a sinful man. And Jesus just picks him up and says, from now on, I'm going to teach you how to catch men. Come follow me. Not browbeat, condemnation, got to jump through three hoops. Just come here, stand up. Your knee just bowed. Your tongue just made an oath. How did it happen? I was just better to you than you deserved. I mean, you didn't deserve those fish. You whined about them. You didn't think you were going to catch them. You were faithless. Don't think you're going to get it when you get faithful. You're going to get it when you get smart. You're going to get it when you memorize the scriptures. You're going to get it. We get it. We bow the knee when we accept that He's the creator of all good things. That if it's good, it's God. And when we embrace the good God, the loving Father, the Father Almighty, when we embrace the creator of the heaven and the earth and say, at that moment, we say, I, "I don't know what to do. I'm the I'm I'm sinner. Forgive me. It's in that confession that we get stand up. Come with me, I want to make you men. It's beautiful. So the word that goes out, God says, "I'm the Creator." and what, where does it end up? Every knee bows, every tongue confesses. So you know what Paul does with that? He transforms it into a new covenant promise that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess because Jesus is the word that goes forth from the Father. So when we talk about, I believe in God the Father, Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. And our journey in this is to not just preach the lines of the creed, but to find Christ in them. To see whether or not that is the faith that you affirm in the Father. And as a confessional group who then confesses that creed you argue out and wrestle out the nuances of what you believe about that god it's not me talking you into believing in him i have found you can't talk people into believing in anything if you do you gotta keep talking to them you know what i mean like if you talk somebody into believing something you got to keep talking you know why we're so into people talking podcasts talk radio talk tv commentators you know why we got to go keep watching them because we got to keep hearing them talk. It's not a revelatory truth that changed our life, it's information that changes our moment. So we get info tomorrow night, more info. Tomorrow night, more info. Tomorrow night, more info. Tomorrow afternoon, more info. It's not that that's bad all the time, although mm, sometimes maybe it is. It's that we aren't being transformed because of a revelation, but we're being informed with information which doesn't lead to any kind of transformation. Forgive all the words that end in shun. But <laughs> <laughs> you understand what I mean? And so I can't talk into it because what that would require is that we meet every day and I keep putting the info in you so that you don't let anybody. This is why sometimes we get scared of people hearing outside influences. Be careful who you listen to because sometimes that's code for don't listen to other ministers because they're going to give you ideas. You know, <laughs> don't listen to anybody else because, you know, I got to push this in you. Um, I'm not worried about information. I want to see a revelation of god the father who is almighty the creator of heaven and earth and in that transformation begins to happen so we go from a god who is a creator to the promise that every knee will bow every tongue confess paul takes us all the way up to that creator who is jesus and our knees bow and our tongue confess what else does paul do colossians 1. let me let me show you another usage that paul has in relation to the creator god in his little letter to the church at Colossae, Colossians chapter 1, and I'll read a few verses, beginning in verse 15. Colossians 1.15, He is the image of the invisible God. Who's He? Jesus. Good guess. Good good work. You didn't guess. You knew. Who's the image of the invisible God? Jesus. We, We learned that in John 1. John taught us that the Word became flesh and showed us what God looked like. No man had ever seen God. Then we saw Jesus. We know what God looks like. If anybody ever asks you what's God look like, what's the answer? Perfect. Jesus. What's God look like? Jesus. We go, well, what's Jesus look like? Let's open Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Let's get busy. I can't tell you how tall he was or how much he weighed or what his hair looked like, but I can tell you how he loved. And I can tell you who he condemned. No one. And I can tell you who he judged. Couldn't find anybody. And I can tell you who he forgave. Everybody he came across. Yeah, that's how I can find Jesus. I can find God by looking at Jesus. I can find the expression of God's love through looking at Jesus. So He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. By the way, don't ever let anybody tell you you don't know what God looks like. You do. The image of the invisible God is Jesus. That's what God looks like. He is the firstborn over all creation. Watch 16. For by Him all things were created that are in heaven that are on earth, both the visible and the invisible, whether it's thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through Him. All things were created for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things consist. That word consist, I always like to try to to kind of take that visually, like you're holding something in your hand, and then bring it all together. Because consist, in the Greek, is, is held together. And so, although that's not perfect, because that's almost more of a fist, imagine gathering the things together and tying them up. Paul says, in Christ, all things, this is grabbing everything. Everything in heaven, and earth, in the past, in the future. And he's pushing them all together. This is the work of the Spirit even now. When we say Creator God, stop thinking six-day creation, seventh day rest. The God who's ever active in moving on the earth, moving in your life, steering, guiding, bringing in, holding all things together in Christ. Christ is what holds it together. Christ is what holds you together. Christ is what keeps us in the love of God aren't you glad Christ keeps you in the love of God? Because if it's not Christ that keeps you in the love of God, it's your good behavior. Well, You should be glad for that, because I don't think you're you're that good. I mean, I like you guys. I believe in you, but I don't believe in you that much. I don't believe you're so good that God's looking down going, man, they are just nailing it. Look at these guys, what a special crew. No, I don't believe in you that much. But I do believe in the love of our Father for you and through you. And therefore, our Father who holds all things together in Christ, holds you together in spite of your mistakes, in spite of your faithlessness, in spite of of your failures and the moments when you just flat out don't know if you can believe it anymore. And he goes, it's okay. In Christ, I'm holding you together. It's okay. I'm, I'm holding you up in Christ. I'm not holding you up in you. I'm not holding you up because you're good or you're faithful or you've got this nailed or you didn't mess up this week. I mean, no offense, but who do you think you are? I think God has to say this to us sometimes. goes, who do you think you are? I didn't hold you up last week because you were good. And then this week drop you because you're bad. It's all in Christ. So then Christ becomes center of the creative universe. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I'm seeing an expression of that in God revealed to me in Christ. And so God continuously creating. He is one more verse. Verse eighteen. He's the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. Don't you? Do you find? I find this interesting. And I don't want to stay here too long. But verse eighteen. Christ is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning. We're the beginning of what God is doing. The firstborn from the dead that in all things He may have the preeminence. Christ in us is the firstborn of all the dead. He's the first resurrection. And we are an expression of the first thing God's doing in His new creation. Not the last thing God's doing, just the beginning of what God is doing. I'm I'm excited by that. And I'm excited in that we get to be an expression of that faith as a church not the church but as a church that's part of the church Um, we have no we have no enemies we don't love and we have no enemies that call themselves followers of christ so we have no one outside that just because they don't belong in our circle or go to our worship service or call themselves part of our family we have no enemy in the part called the greater church okay Um, let's just let them be expressions of the faith and we'll be expressions of the faith i'm gonna i'm i'm gonna actively in this journey actively and attend actively attentively in that i'm trying to pay attention to the sound of the spirit introduce us to worship, to seeing God in a way that maybe we aren't all familiar with, that we're not all, that we didn't all cut our spiritual teeth on. Because worship and discovery of God should be the opposite of stale. Okay? Because what happens a lot of times is it just gets stale. This is like what we do. We come in here. He's going to do that and then she's going to do that and they're going to read that and we're going to sing that and then he's going to talk for a little bit and then we're going to eat a wafer and drink a cup and, and then you're going to go home and see you next week. <laughs> right? And, and I, don't, I don't know about you, but that sounds like about the worst thing to wait to spend an hour, hour and a half of my life. I mean, I got a bunch of other stuff called like taking a nap <laughs> that beats that. Right, I'm, I'm just being honest. I don't, I don't, I don't see any reason to lie about, or like put on airs about it. And I'm not saying that things don't get routine, that you can't predict what's coming. But the vibrancy of growing in grace and in knowledge is the excitement of knowing that the Holy Spirit doesn't always inform you of what is to be done next. That things shift and shape and change. And they don't always look the way they've looked to you and to me. I'm excited by that. I find that to be a reason to go. I've got to go see him and her and her and him this week because I know the Holy Spirit is actively working in them. And I know we could see an expression of that today. And I want to see what he's done this week to influence that. And I know that's easy in small settings when there's not very many. It gets more difficult when there's larger settings. But I'm also not not scared. The Holy Spirit's never overwhelmed. It's not like the Holy Spirit walks into a room and goes, oh boy, too many here today. Just, I'm just not going to be able to, I'm really just not going to be able to get past like the fourth row today. I don't believe that. I also don't believe that he walks into small rooms and goes, yes! There's not very many people here we can really have a, a church service So that's us we're the ones that do that kind of stuff you know he also doesn't walk in and get depressed like oh gosh 12 people you know i mean jesus did pretty good with his 12 so i, I don't i don't worry about those things so i'm not talking about s- secular excitement and, and crowds or music styles but just being attentive attentive paying attention to the holy spirit and allowing him what i'm trying to say is allowing him to create something new in our midst because he's a creator he's not a stale god that goes you know you got to do it this way it's always been done this way and he's a creator god his hands are actively creating when you see these little kids they're that's an image of the creator god That's an image of God actively creating a new generation, actively smiling about it, going, I'm not going to let you get stale. I'm going to crawl this one through your room so you don't get stale. It's beautiful. And you go, well, how are we going to deal with that? You go, you don't deal. You grow. And as you grow, you, you see expressions of how you can minister, how you can minister to, be ministered to, wash feet and have your feet washed these are these are gospel images of what happens in an environment where we're being creative and we're not being stale now you may be saying why do i have to be that i thought god's the creator i'm glad you asked i could tell it was on the tip of your tongue you just didn't say it out loud yet so i helped you out because you've been created in his likeness and his image you're a reflection of who he is so i believe in god the father Almighty creator of heaven and earth. I also believe that you can be a good father, a good mother. And that in the eyes of your little kids, trust me, you are almighty. <laughs> you, up to a certain point, you are almighty. But that you also have the power to create the world they live in. And in many ways, that's what we're seeing with God, our father. And we have the power to create an atmosphere of the people that we live in. Have you ever considered why in the gospel of John, Jesus breathes on his disciples can you imagine jesus just blows on them i <sighs> always thought that had to be an interesting moment you know jesus walks over and blows on the disciples and they maybe they jump back a little bit and jesus says receive the holy spirit whoever sins you remit are remitted whoever sends you retain are retained and that was it that was the whole that was the whole sunday school lesson like what what are we supposed to do with that that's a powerful thing it's i think it's jesus saying it's him doing the creative act over again. Remember, God breathed into Adam and made him a life-giving spirit. Jesus breathes onto his disciples and gives them life-giving potential. Whoever sins you remit, they're remitted. Whoever sins you retain, they're retained. What's that mean? You have the power to help release people And you also have the power to put people under condemnation. And all you got to do to do it is open your mouth and breathe. I don't mean blow on them. I mean speak over them. So you can be nasty and rotten and hateful and judgmental and condemn everyone you come into contact with. And not everyone's going to hold on to that. Some people are going to punch you in the nose. Some people are going to rebuke you. But a lot of people are going to fall down in their spirit. And they're going to be enchained and enslaved and hurt and they're going to hold it for a long time. Especially if you've got any sort of authority in their life. Because they're going to grow up or grow old, even into their elder years, and say, I'll never forget what that man said to me. I'll never forget what that woman said to me. It's haunted me. It's chased me. It bound me. It made me a slave. Or, whoever sends you remit. So you have creative power. God doesn't condemn you. He loves you. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Yeah, but what about the things I'm doing? I'm not talking to you about your actions. I'm talking to you about your Creator. I'm not the judge of your actions, but I can tell you that your Creator is obsessed with you. He loves you beyond words. That He's been pulling things in your whole life, trying to grab you. Not to hurt you, but trying to hold on to you. He's been chasing you down. He's been hunting you. He's not been hunting you with a sword or a hammer, but with open arms, with new shoes and a robe and a fatted calf and a ring for the family. He's got it all in his hands, just, just waiting to run and meet you at the end of the lane. So I don't know about your stuff. I don't know about the stuff you're doing. But I know he loves you. And your stuff is your stuff, but you are fearfully and one, you are created in the image of God. You are uniquely you, nobody else is you. And if you believe in a God that creates, you have to believe in a God that creates that and cares for it immensely. And so my goodness, if Jesus breathed into a new creation as a new creator, and did he? 2 Corinthians 5, if any man be in Christ, he is a New new creation. Some of us got trapped in Old King James. Old King James says, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away, all things become new. Better translation is straight from the Greek. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. He's newly created. Brand new. So when Jesus breathes into his disciples, he's recreating his father's. Genesis account, breathe into his disciples so that they can remit sins, so they can retain Okay, what if you believed that? Well, if you believed it, you'd watch, hey, talk to your neighbor. I, I, and I don't mean that to slap us, but I'm saying if we truly believe it, we will think in terms of, I have great authority when speaking condemnation, when speaking love, when speaking forgiveness. But what else might you do? Let me give you a couple scriptures. Go to Genesis 1, because if I'm going to talk new creation, let me briefly talk old creation. Okay, because the Bible, um, this is the kind of thing you might as well say early and say often, in case you haven't heard me say it before. The Bible's not a history book. It's not a literal blow-by-blow account of things that happened in history left or right. It is a book that is meant to introduce you to God through the lens of the writer, through the lens of men and women who live it out. And so the stories of the Old Testament speak bigger things than literalism. Okay? Um, You say, and and this is, we have to be careful here because when you say creator God, people think that there's going to be 10 minutes in this message disproving evolution. That's what people like to do when they say, do you believe God's a creator? Go, "Let's, let's disprove evolution. Okay, that's getting wrapped up in a thing more than it's getting wrapped up in a who. But I will say this. I think it's obvious that things change across time. Science teaches us that things change across time. I don't have to let go of my faith in Christ to believe that things evolve and change across time. I also don't have to let go of God being the creator to believe that things evolve and change across time. What I could do is recognize that God doesn't need six days to do anything. Does He? I mean, no one thinks of that when they talk about, did God God take six literal days to create the earth? And they'll go, He did this on day one, He did this on day two. And I'm going, why didn't He just do it all in one snap? I mean... God don't need six days. God's big. God, He who hangs the moon and the stars didn't need four days to think about it, two days to think about it, three days to think I'm not being. A, I am being a smart aleck, but I'm not really being a smart aleck. I'm, I'm trying to say that we can get trapped and miss the forest for the trees. And so God frames our revolutions around the sun through language we can understand so that we can pick up on what He's doing creatively. But He's doing way more then what meets the eye? So for instance When he gives Adam a mission, he's giving a mission to man So when he says to Adam, here's your wife be fruitful multiply go fill the earth. It's not all on Adam It's the human mandate be fruitful multiply fill the earth. That's not us going well Adam was supposed to do all that That would be a literal interpretation Adam you, literally, go fill the earth. You go, God, that's a big job. Okay, <laughs> you know, I mean, it takes her nine months to have one kid. You know how long this is going to take for me to fill the earth? I mean, okay, no. But it's bigger than that because it's speaking to all of us creation. So look at this in Genesis 1, 26. God said, let's make man in our image according to our likeness. Let him have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, over every creature, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him male and female. He created them and He blessed them. And He said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over every living thing that moves on the earth. Genesis 1, God creates animals. Then He creates humans. He gives us lordship. He gives us stewardship. He gives us management. He gives us the command to be fruitful because we are creators. Use your creative power wisely. Here's another reason why I don't believe this is a literal rendering. Because in Genesis 2, God creates man, and then He creates animals, and then He creates woman. Let me review. Genesis 1. God creates male and female. He creates animals. Then he creates male and female. Animals, male and female. Genesis 2. Man, animals, Eve. Is it confused or is it just telling us bigger stories about the creative power of God? Bingo. It's telling us bigger stories about the creative power of God. It's not meant to be a blow-by-blow account of what God did, but the fact that God did it. That God is involved in the creation of who we are, both male and female. And that He puts us here as stewards of His will to be creative or recreative in His sight. And what does He tell them to do in Genesis 2.15? The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and to keep it. So in Genesis 1, He tells them to go subdue the whole earth and fill it. In Genesis 2, He puts them in one spot. And says, subdue and keep it. Because in the grand scheme of things, God wants the human family to take care of this place. That's the macro. But in the micro, God wants the human family to take care of their family. (laughs) See how he did both of those in the same? In one account, go take care of this place. It's home. In the other account, go take care of your home. Because they're both part of who we are. Which tells me I have a responsibility to Natasha and to Lauren that doesn't Match the responsibility I have to you and never will. You are the same way within your garden. But that doesn't mean I don't have a responsibility to you. It just means they're not the same thing. Parsing the difference is part of our call. And part of that call is embracing that, believing that God is the creator and believing that his creation is His and then accepting responsibility for it. So I bring it all down to this. If we believe that God is the creator and that we are made in His image, we cannot hang moons and stars. But He breathed into us to have a creative ability over our neighbor and gave us responsibility for them so that you matter so much that I have to take some responsibility for knowing you and that that costs me something in knowing you. And that they, and in, and in your situation, your family holds a special place in which you tend to that. I think there's the same thing in your local church, which your, your family of, of God. See, there's the broad family of God of which the church at large we're all part of. And then there's the church that God puts together here in this little garden where helping those in that space becomes a little more important than helping those outside of it. Have you noticed that you your heart breaks if you hear of something happening in your neighborhood? If you, if you go home tonight and you turn on the news and something tragic has happened five miles from your house, and then you watch the world news and something tragic happened in the middle of Africa? Which one moves you the most? The one right down the road from your house? Does that make you bad? No, it makes you human. Why? Because you hurt for the thing going on in Africa, but you bleed for the thing going on five miles from your house. Because you have two sets of family in the earth. Humanity, which is why you're kind to strangers, and family, which is why you don't buy strangers Christmas presents. You buy them for your family. You don't don't not love them, but you love in a different way. We are actually called to do both and to parse the difference. to let that be a part of the creativeness of who we are in Christ. So I believe, I believe in God, the father almighty creator of heaven and earth and in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. That's where we're going next. And in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He shall come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the fellowship of the saints and the the, the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Amen. Would you bow your heads? You are good, Father. Thank you, Lord, for this beautiful night, afternoon and night with our friends. Thank you for what you do and what you've done. Thank you that we are having a fresh revelation that you are the creator of heaven and earth and all that is in it and in you, all things are held together. And Lord, show us the power of our creative tongue, the ability to bless and to curse. And as Paul said, may we bless and curse not, and we believe it and receive it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Amen.